This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plains FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plainsfm.org.nz. Thank you. 
and welcome this time to the June edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection. It is presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30 on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. Now there is only Helen and myself today as Jan is otherwise engaged. Last month, Helen, you were getting over COVID. You're fully recovered now and not having any ongoing problems? No, I'm fully recovered now, thank you, Heather. But I'm still masking up when I'm out and about. (laughs) Yeah, well, it keeps your nose warm, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here it is, the end of June. The shortest day has been, and we are halfway through the year already. Where has it gone? It will be Christmas before we know where we are. So far, winter has not been so bad here in Christchurch, and we didn't get any of the snow they had in the south a couple of weeks ago. Now, there's a bit of stop press, too, that came up on my computer today. They are going to allow women to participate in up Haliar. There's been great discussions about it, um, you know, before. Mm. 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 So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It will be, yes. (laughs) We hope COVID doesn't put it off again. Yes, that's right, yeah. Yes. Now for a few snippets from the papers. Over the last few weeks in Shetland and Orkney, there has been an outbreak of bird flu and there have been hundreds, possibly thousands of deaths. It really has been a most catastrophic threat to the island's bird population. The depleted nesting areas are a sad sight to see and the depleted bird life will affect the islands for some time. Mm. Yes, they had pictures, you know, in the papers of the Mm. dead birds. It was awful. Yeah, there's a lot of... Mm. Continuing on the bird theme, an appeal has been made to the community to exercise caution when visiting the Fourth Barrier Beach after a little turn nesting area was disrupted by an illegal act of a motorcyclist. When visited by the RSPB, they could see tyre tracks right through the little turn nesting site. Little terns are a Schedule 1 protected species. This means it is an offence to intentionally or recklessly disturb at, on or near an active nest. With the support of Burry Primary and Hope Community Schools, the landowners of the site and the majority of people who enjoy visiting the beach, the Little Turn Project is trying to ensure breeding success for one of Orkney's rarest birds. It is a shame not everyone treats rare species with the respect they deserve and are entitled to by law. And I can remember walking in Deerness, I think it was, along the cliffs, and I'm not sure, it wasn't little turns, but there mm. the birds were dive-bombing us. In oh. <laughs> yeah, <it> was, <laughs> yeah, they, know, they know they're protected by law. Yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> a popular community woodland area in Shetland is set to grow even bigger. Some 22 volunteers gathered at Michael's Wood in Aith to plant around 2,000 trees. Wind farm developer SSE provided the funding for the 2,000 trees, which include Swedish white beam, red ada, aspen, Scottish oak and hybrid larch and poplar. Michael's wood owner Ray Ferry said a big thank you to everyone who turned up. Mm, they look good when they all grow. Mm. Mm. 
In Shetland, councillors have approved a decision to mothball Fetler Primary School on a temporary basis, as it currently has no school, no children. The pupil roll fell to zero in May, and there are no young people in the catchment area that would be able to come into the school in the next academic year. The school has been mothballed before, so this was not a new concept. The committee's decision means Fetler School joins two others, Scaries and Papa Stour, in being temporary mothballed. As they need those tunnels, don't they, to keep the people in the islands? Yes, <laughs> and to get more people to move there. Yeah, yeah. This month, the Met Office Observatory in Lerwick celebrated 100 years of service. It's actually 101 years since the observatory opened on the 7th of June 1921, but celebrations were postponed last year due to COVID. While as many as 40 people worked at the observatory in the past, there are just five staff there now. The job is still the same as ever, with workers recording the best data they can and reporting it to the Met Office. A plaque commemorating the observatory's 100th anniversary was unveiled by Met Office Service Director Simon Brown. Hmm. Now, the Shetland Fishermen's Association has called for research to be carried out before rushing ahead with the development of offshore wind farms that could wreak havoc on key spawning and nursery grounds and threaten the industry. It has used a series of maps showing large swathes of the seabed currently earmarked for potential wind farms intersect with some ecosystems of young fish, mainly the important spawning and nursery grounds of haddock. Scotland's most valuable fish stocks such as mackerel, herring and blue whiting could also be at risk. The government says it wants to support coastal communities and build a world-class fishing nation and protect the health of Scotland's fish stocks. The SFA is also claiming there is a mounting evidence showing a negative impact of offshore developments on shellfish, including brown crab and lobster. Yes, we've got to look after those stocks, don't yeah, we? Yeah, they really do, because the amount of fish they take out mm. of the waters around um, that area. Mm. An Orkney Islands council leader has made a plea to prevent Stromness turning into a suburb of Kirkwall. James Stockan contrasted the relatively buoyant state of Kirkwall with its fragile counterpart. He said the council investment in Kirkwall Town Centre has paid dividends, describing it as a huge success story. But he said, We have another issue with Stromness, which is really fragile. The small shops there were in a really precarious situation before COVID and are still finding things difficult. Stromness is a town in its own right. It's something that benefits Orkney in having more than one centre. Kirkwall Town Centre has enjoyed a level of vibrancy lost in many other towns on the Scottish mainland. This is arguably due to more independent shops on the high street, where other towns have seen the loss of major retail chains. There is also concerns about town centre retailer confidence moving towards recovery from the pandemic as many customers moved online and may be hard to win back. Mm. Yes, I noticed the last time I was there before COVID, you know, how the shops and strumness, the, the, they were finding it really tough and there wasn't, right. you know, yeah, mm. which is sad because they do really need the two towns. That's yeah. right. Mm. 
From June until early October, the mobile breast screening unit will be in Shetland outside the Clickerman Leisure Centre. The breast screening service visits the Isles every three years and Shetland remains one of the highest screening uptakes in the country. On the last visit in 2019, 84% of eligible, eligible women attended for screening. It is really important that women continue to come for screening each time the unit visits Shetlands so that they can ensure there have been no changes in the three years since they were last screened. Yes, it's very good. It mm. is, isn't mm. it? 84%. Wonderful. Mm. Mm. Kites, kids, and kind weather recently came together to create a day of fun and fundraising at the John Ray Society's first kite festival at the Hall of Clestrain in Orphia. It was wonderful to welcome local families as well as folk from afar to the hall to learn more about John Ray's life and achievements and the aims of the John Ray Society. The event raised more than £200 for the Society, which is working hard to mark the work of the Arctic Explorer. They are planning a visitor centre where they will share the true story of John Ray and Orkney's key role in the Arctic exploration. Prizes were given to the youngsters flying kites for the longest and for the best designs. Mm. Yeah, well, construction has started on Kirkwall's new £13.45 million care home, which is a lot of money again. Mm. The 40-bed build at Solis Coy will replace the ageing St Roggenvold house. The project will see a single-storey structure made up of four wings with the flexibility to add two 10-bed ensuite accommodation wings in the future. The new facility will bring much-improved care for its residents. Yes, oh, that should be great, shouldn't yeah. it? There's always us oldies now, isn't exactly. there? Exactly, <laughs> there's more of us. Yeah. We're all lasting too long. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier this month, the Kirkwall lifeboat and crew we're delighted to be able to host their Open Day at the West Pier. This year was their 50th anniversary and the team was honoured to have Captain Billy Sinclair along to cut their special lifeboat cake and officially start the Golden Anniversary celebrations. Billy was one of Kirkwall Lifeboat's first coxswains. Yeah. Yes, those lifeboats do a jolly good mm. job, don't they? Yeah. Now, 11... Firefighters from Lurwick Fire Station have been presented with Platinum Jubilee medals to mark more than five years of service to the Fire Brigade. Receiving their medals at a ceremony this month were Watch Commander Colin Nicholson, Crew Commanders Johnny Wiseman and John McLeod, Steve Nicholson and Scott Henderson, as well as firefighters Darren Hunter, James Nicholson, Amy Gerrard, Ryan Lawrenson, Sophie Turnbull and Ryan Thomason. Congratulations to you all, and it's nice to see there's a couple of females in the crew there. Yes. Mm. Be it dazzling brooches, rings or necklaces, Orkney is world-renowned for its jewellery production. However, the ongoing excavations at the Cairns site in South Ronaldsea suggests this reputation may not have first emerged in the 20th century. In fact, the Isles could have been famous for jewellery and textiles for as long as 2,000 years. The Cairns site, which was once a towering brock, complete with surrounding village, 
lies near Windwick Bay in South Ronaldsea. This area could possibly lay claim to being the site of the original Orkney Jewellery Workshop. On the site, the excavators found 60 fired clay moulds for producing jewellery. The moulds date from a little after the use of the main brock, and smelting would have taken place in the surrounding buildings. So although the original focus of the site was no longer in use, site director Martin Carruthers suggests the jewellery makers were people who lived there and still had pretensions towards a bit of status and a bit of power and showiness, even after the great age of the Brocks. The item styles were recognisable across the north of Scotland, but those in Orkney date to a century or more earlier than those on other sites. Could the designs be Orcadian originals and then spread further afield? I'm sure they were, yes. Mm. Mm. <laughs> there may not be enough proof to establish this, but there is evidence that the people who lived there possibly traded their produce for other materials. Back in the Iron Age, there was some soapstone coming down from Shetland and also serpentinite, a beautiful green-type stone with lovely patterning in it. It is not native to Orkney, but is found in Shetland, particularly on Unst. So there was, was material coming down from Shetland. From the north of Scotland, there were shale items, a kind of shiny black stone that's been shaped into bangles and rings. It looked like jet. The glass beads of Iron Age type were probably coming up from sites around Inverness. There was a major Iron Age site just outside Inverness that produced beads. There were definitely things coming into Orkney from outside, but another dimension was missing. Of those specific metal objects that were created in the moulds, none were found as finished items on site. So the moulds are priceless as evidence for those types of metal objects and showing that they were being cast on site. So were these ancient entrepreneurs selling their goods? Martin does admit that for him personally, they probably were trading. Besides the metalwork, there was an awful lot of textile production going on too. Mr Carruthers said, you could imagine cloth, textile and blankets being of interest to other communities if the people living at the Cairn were creating a surplus. Mm. It's sort of hard to believe that, mm. you know, there was travel, boat travel, mm. you know, what the boats were. Yes. Oh, goodness me. Mm. Another clue that suggests the Cairns community were part of a wider trading network is the presence of amber. Ultimately, the amber of Europe comes from the Baltic, so how did it get from there to Orkney around the year AD 300? Was it exchanged via communities from the Baltic, or were they amber pebbles that occasionally wash up on the beaches around Orkney? It is supposition but there could be clues to suggest that these early Orcadians were part of a larger trading network. Now, a couple of weeks ago, someone on Facebook asked about Shetland Kishis. Not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but we'll call them Kishis. Are they still being used, and did anyone still make them? I decided to look into this, and this is what I came up with. As you will no doubt appreciate, the kishi was still in widespread use as a method of transporting various items until it was made redundant by more readily available containers, bags and other methods of transportation. 
Before this stage, the Kishis had enjoyed usage in all areas of Shetland, both ashore and afloat. Orkney used very similar containers, but they were called cases. The purpose for which a kishi was to be used could have influenced the maker in both shape, size and possible material. For any work involved with the gathering of bait to be used for fishing, kishis were smaller in size. For example, limpets were not large, and a smaller kishi for a young boy to use around the rocks would have been sufficient. A smaller kishi more usually made of dockin stalks rather than oak straw, was usually used for carrying silics, the small fish caught from the rocks, and brought back home for cooking. Larger kishis were made every winter for members of the family or ponies to use. These would generally be made out of oat straw and bound with simmons of rush, oat or marum. The manufacture of these would be carried out during the winter evenings by the men and would initially involve the winding of simmons, more than 20 fathoms being required for a very large kishi, and the making of the actual basket would have followed. It was not unusual for evenings to be spent together with neighbours, friends and relations, winding simmons, telling yarns and having supper during the evening. The women folk would have had their sock knitting and carding wool to occupy themselves when they were meeting for similar evenings. Mm. As a new kishi was made for a member of the family, the new kishi would be used for cleaner and more precious items, such as carrying finished items to the merchant or groceries home from the shop. The other kishis would be relegated further for gathering vegetables and finally manure out of the byre or from the midden heap to the fields. There is a story passed down by a family of a small child being carried in a kishi to their new home after being evicted from their land by the laird. The child could apparently recall looking back to the valley where they had lived and seeing their home being burnt. The tenants were being cleared for the introduction of large-scale sheep farming. Yes. Mm. On the water, the larger kishi, or bodhi, the term used for the same basket but in a fishing context, was made in the same way, sometimes of straw or also of dockin stalks. The bodhi doubled up as a mat to sit on when rowing out to the fishing grounds, hopefully being filled with fish when they returned to shore. There were examples of these baskets that were much less open in the mouth, both making better seat mats and also giving the fish less opportunity to spill out. Yeah, I think sitting on one made of dockins would be a bit uncomfortable, wouldn't it? <laughs> like sitting on a pile of sticks, but maybe it was better than sitting on the wooden seat. Mm. There is no doubt that the kishi was a great asset to those working on the croft. This multi-purpose basket had a strap across as a fettle which meant the carrier could sling the kishi over his or her back, leaving the hands free. The strap actually came across the chest, and many crofting women would talk, walk with a kishi on her back with her hands free to do other things. In Shetland, it was usually knitting. <laughs> Nowadays, kishi are not commonly used, but a renewed interest in basket making and Shetland culture has inspired many people to collect them. The art of kishi making is still practised and taught by a few islanders, Ewan Balfour being one of them. 
Dokkins, Dokkins and Bullmint are all words used for the dock plant from Shetland and Orkney. These dried dockweed stalks were used for making kishis because they did not rot as readily as straw. After being cut in August and September and cleaned of leaves and seed heads, the dock stalks are dried and they become quite hard. Before they are used, they need to be soaked, preferably in salt water to make them more pliable. I still think they'd be rather hard. It'd be hard on your fingers doing it. Oh, yes. Well, our outro music today is from the Shoremere Fiddlers. Well, here we are at the end of our programme again. I have still managed to avoid COVID, but have recently had friends come down with it. If you have had it, I hope you do not have too many after effects. And if you hadn't had it, keep your fingers crossed. Until next month, cheerio. And do keep wearing your masks. (laughs) Bye and keep warm.